Hey, so my name is Tom, and I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads, and we're starting a new teaching here, teaching series here this morning. And um, when we think about the Bible, the Bible holds out things like love and hope and peace and joy. And I, with everything that I have, believe the Bible to be true. And if that's the case, why... Why do we grow up in families that don't love us or protect us the way that they could or should? Why do the people we care about suffer and struggle? Why do the people we care about do dumb things that cause lots of pain? Why do I do dumb things that cause lots of pain? Why is everybody so stinking angry. Why can I not say the phrase, you know what, I disagree with you, and I love you to the same person, and have it be received? So the Bible holds out things like love and joy and peace and hope. Then why do we feel chaos and sorrow and hate and anger and all that other stuff? Why does it feel like a struggle? Why does it feel like a battle? The short answer, because it is. That's what we're going to spend the next several weeks talking about, is the source of this battle. And this teaching series is going to be based on a book called Live No Lies by a pastor and author and speaker named John Mark Comer. And I'm not going to teach the book. I'm going to teach the scripture that kind of he based the base the book on. And his, um, his big premise is this. Deceptive ideas play to disordered desires which are normalized in a sinful society. Right? That's a super dense statement. So we're going to take all summer to figure out what that means. Um, but as, I'm, as we talk about uh, this, the, the enemies that he points out, this, we're, we're thrust into a battle, right? And each of those, the parts of that phrase, deceptive ideas, disordered desires, sinful society, represent an enemy of our soul, right? The deceptive ideas come from the devil. Disordered desires are our flesh. And a sinful society is the world around us. And the language that scripture used, even a little bit of the language that I use in this introduction, can make us uncomfortable. And that, we were talking in staff meeting, it made me realize that this whole series um, could feel a little cringy to our modern Western ears, right? And I will try to acknowledge those things as we go along, but foundationally, there's a couple things that I want to talk about that um, it's okay, right? If you, if you cringe, it's all right, acknowledge it and like step into it. But the first one is this idea of the war rhetoric or the violence rhetoric that's gonna go along with what we're talking about. Battle, struggle, attack, violence, armor, all of that stuff. And it's, it's foreign to us, it's uncomfortable to us. We're trying to, as a society, move towards peace, which is good, but the authors of scripture did not shy away from this language. The mothers and fathers of the early church, like up until the fourth century, did not shy away from this language. And in fact, they were all pacifists up until about the third or fourth century when the Roman Emperor Constantine got his hands on the church. But that's another deal. Um, 
So how do we reconcile those things, right? How do we rec- reconcile that war rhetoric with the nonviolent life and teaching of Jesus and of Scripture? And um, I would point your attention to the book of Ephesians. It's a letter written to a church that was just started, and Paul was trying to encourage them, Paul the author, and he says this. He says, For our struggles is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right? This is not about the conservatives being wrong or the liberals being wrong. This is not about a cultural war. This is not us versus them. This is so much bigger than that. It's a battle that wages inside of us and all around us all of the time. The next thing, um, as I talk about the devil and the flesh and the world, some of you might be thinking, Tom is going to leave here, go grab his bullhorn, and go start yelling at people at the mall. Right? Like that's, or um, it's time to like board up the castle walls or run to the hills and just like run away from it all. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. The best thing that we can do is to stay right where we are and continue these efforts to become the kind of people who live like Jesus, right? To win these battles, we're gonna have to um, embrace things like service and love and seeking after justice and self-sacrifice. All the things that Jesus was and did when he walked with us, right? It's not about bullhorns or running away. Um, the last one is this. I didn't know how else to capture this, but this idea of the world versus the world or the world or the world. This is God's world. And he made it and he said, this is good. In the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, it says, for God so loved the world. Right? So how is the world one of the enemies? There, and I'm, we're going to talk about this and we're going we're to dig into it. But it, I'm not standing up here saying that everything out there is evil and terrible and horrible. That's, that's not what I'm saying. There are aspects when sin entered into the world, it turned everything upside down, right? And made God's good creation something it's not. But we're going to get into that. So those are three just kind of acknowledgments I wanted to lay it in ground. It's okay. Cringe. Go with it. Like acknowledge them to yourself. Ask questions. Ask questions on a regular Sunday. Ask questions on a reflection Sunday. That's why we do that, right? So we can work through this stuff together. All right. So, um, hugely, hugely important that this idea, Live No Lies, that's the title of the book, that's the title of the series, is about way more than just speaking and hearing the truth. It's about living the truth. And sometimes the easiest way to define something is to give you an opposite of what happens when we as a society live out of lies. And the first thing that came to my mind was like big business. And some of us are old enough to remember going back a ways like big tobacco. And the tobacco industry would pay celebrities to smoke on camera or when they made public appearances to make it glamorous and to appeal to people. In the 1960s, 40% of the United States smoked. That number is now down to like 8 or 9%. But we've all been affected. We all know somebody who has suffered the consequences of those lies. Right? And as we, as we go further, we can, we'll see the pattern develop. Right? Deceptive ideas playing to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. 
you know, I need to take the edge off. Just have a cigarette. All these people on TV are doing it. They look so glamorous. I mean, it seems silly to us now, right? But that's like, that was how it started. And it did a ton of damage. Um, or big, big pharma, right? I apologize, any sales reps in here, but like the opioid crisis, same thing, right? Pharmaceutical companies convinced doctors to write these scripts. People would come and they would use way more pills than they should or could, but nobody stopped giving it to them. And it created this crisis in our country, a series of lies. Um, social media, I don't know if you guys, I think it's the social dilemma, right? Netflix documentary, where the heads of the biggest tech companies won't let their kids on social media. That's terrifying, right? You gotta stop and, and think about what social media does to us. The, even the, the, the chemical reactions in our brain when a notification goes off on our phone. Ooh, I should check that. <laughs> and it's all around, like there's lies and there's some, what makes lies really, the lies that we're talking about really um, difficult is that there's this little nugget of truth in there but maybe the scariest one of all, and it's extreme, but is a great example of this, is the Holocaust. An entire nation was duped by the Nazis due to a campaign of organized lies, and they were convinced that an entire people group was subhuman and should be exterminated. The Jews, if the Jews survived, it meant that the Germans wouldn't. Like, there it, it was a zero-sum game. They're taking your jobs. They're taking this. They're taking that. It's all their fault. And we know, like, millions and millions and millions of lives were lost. So when those three things come together, the devil, the flesh, and the world, and they collude, they are destructive. They're destructive to our individual souls. They're destructive to the society around us. I'm kind of getting um, a little bit ahead of myself. So we're going we're gonna to look at, actually, we're going to look at two pieces of scripture where the, the idea of these three enemies come from, and we're going to dig deep into the first one, and the second one will lead us into a, a time of, of communion. This first one is found in the Gospel of Mark. I know we just finished studying Mark, but this is one of the passages we didn't cover. It's uh, the beginning of chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8 and then 15 through 20. Sometimes this is known as the parable of the sower. This is Jesus talking, and he's sharing with his followers a parable. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Some people, and this is Jesus explaining the parable to his disciples a little bit later, some people are like seed along a path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. 
But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So we're going to break down these pieces a little bit. Um, God is the farmer or the sower in this analogy. And I think one of the most important things that we can take away from this is the character of God or the character of the farmer. God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have a flourishing relationship with you, right? A farmer doesn't scatter seed and hope it just like is some scraggly little thing. He wants it to grow and to flourish and to live and to thrive. That's the kind of relationship that God wants. God is glad to be with you. His love for you is perfect. He cannot love you anymore, and he will not love you any less. This idea of a relationship with you and with I and with humanity was so important to God that he took on flesh and he walked with us to show us what it means to be truly human. And then when he had lived his time on earth, he died as one of us. He suffered an innocent death so that he might defeat sin and death. The goals of the three enemies are sin and death. Sin is a temporal um, removal of the presence from God, like we're, we're disconnected from God. Death would be that permanent separation from God. Jesus died to beat those things. Right, so there's a little nugget for you. Stick that in the back of your head. The war, the war is already won. Right, we got some battles still to fight, but the war is already won. Not only did he do that to defeat sin and death, but he do it, he did it to create a new people for himself. A people that would live with him and like him, and that they would draw the rest of the world to him, and that the whole world might be blessed through these people. And one of the things that I find so interesting about this, I don't think um, God is an unintelligent farmer. He scatters seed everywhere. I would think he would be like, oh, that's a path that's not going to grow there. That's, there's all those rocks, it's not going to grow there. God wants everybody to be in a relationship with him, no matter where they are, metaphorically or literally. God scatters the seed, opens up the opportunity for a relationship with him to everyone so that everyone might have the opportunity to step into it. There are pests, right? The three enemies. The first one is the devil. And so each of these, I'm going to give you like a top line definition. And then throughout the course of the summer, we're going to dig in to each of them. So this is just like a kind of an overview deal. Quick definition. The devil is a real, intelligent, spiritual being. He is hell-bent on destroying the work of God. Right? Those words are chosen intentionally. He wants to destroy the work of God. And the main way that he does that is through lies and deception. The world. Two different definitions for you that kind of kind of come together. A system of practices and standards associated with a society that attempts to live as if there is no God. Right? That's the, the next kind of soil in the thing. 
as if there is no God. <clears throat> this definition kind of fills it out. The world is Satan's domain where his authority and values reign, though his, decep- his deception makes that hard to realize. Right? We walk among this stuff sometimes not even knowing what we're doing. And finally, the flesh. Our basest animalistic desires, especially regarding survival and pleasure. In order for me to win, you have to lose. If it feels good, do it as long as you don't hurt anybody. And oh, by the way, you get to define what hurting somebody else means. Right? That's kind of where we're at. Those are the um, those are the pests. But there is seed that falls on good ground, and it thrives. And it, it calls out 30, 60, 100-fold, 100 times what, it, what was planted. And I think to the extent that we as followers of Jesus partner with God, that determines the, you know, the 30, 60, 100-fold. So again, we'll, we'll talk more. Just to recap, Deceptive ideas play to disordered desires which are normalized in a sinful society. The devil specializes in lies. Deceptive ideas are disordered desires. Our basest instincts get normalized in a society that's kind of turned on its head. And good is bad, and bad is, is good. There, God wants a relationship with each one of us. There are forces, dynamics, powers, spiritual beings that would do anything to keep us from that relationship. If those forces are left on track, they will destroy us. It is, however, very possible not just to survive, but to thrive and to have that relationship that returns 30, 60, 100, 100 fold. So this could be, um, this could feel a little unsatisfying right, because we point out these enemies, but we haven't talked about how to defeat them, and again, that's what we're going to do over the course of the summer, but as we lead into a time of communion, and we're going to celebrate the fact that the war is already won, I want to, I want to re-emphasize this to you with another one of the passages that calls out the three enemies of the soul um, to provide a little, a little hope as we move out into our, our week. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's a very wordy way of saying the devil. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires. There's the third one, right? And following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, even when we were partnering with those enemies. It is by grace you have been saved. So there's the three enemies again, right? The devil, the world, and the flesh. But in this passage, they're talked about as conquered, vanquished foes, as vanquished enemies. While we were still partnering with those enemies, Jesus stepped in and won the war. He defeated sin, and he defeated death. And now what's left, in the meantime, until he returns, is for us to fight these battles with these three enemies. Through Jesus' perfect life, his innocent death, triumphant resurrection, we have the power to fight 
those battles. We are not left alone. We are not left unarmed. We are not left to our own devices. Jesus says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I don't want to send you out without a tool, without a weapon. So what I want you to do this week is when you feel chaos, you feel despair, you feel sorrow, anger, hate, temptation, all those things that the enemy can grab a hold of and whisper lies into your ear about, I want you to acknowledge them, right? I want you to acknowledge them, and then I want you to pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you for all that you did to win the war. Please help us fight these battles, right? I've been doing this this week leading up to today, and there's power in prayer, my friends. So when you feel those things, right, we've been talking a lot about acknowledging the things we feel. We can't lock them in the trunk. We can't let them drive the car. We acknowledge them. They're signals. So we acknowledge these things, and then we pray this prayer and let Jesus do his thing. Amen?